Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Judge Barrett. Uh, Mr. Chairman, before I get started, I'd like uh, unanimous consent to submit a letter from my primary care physician indicating that I've fully complied with CDC guidelines and been Without cleared like 2,000 other North Carolinians yesterday, and I'm glad that they're healing. Without objection. I'd also like to uh, put forth three letters uh, in support of uh, Judge Barrett, including one from Devin Patel, a former uh, student who speaks very highly of your academic prowess, but also your compassion. Without objection. I'd uh, also like to cover what uh, Senator Blumenthal just did. I think we should go back. I believe you alluded to it, Judge Barrett, but question 12A of the committee questionnaire asked for books, articles, reports, letters to the editor, editorial pieces, or other published material you have written or edited. Is it fair to say that if you signed a petition, you did not write or edit any of the petition you signed? I did not write yeah. or edit that it's also uh, needs to be restated. I think you alluded to it, but over the last six justices confirmed by this committee, all of them pro provided supplemental information, and in some cases after the actual hearing. Um, so I appreciate your uh, being forthcoming that you've submitted 1,800 pages of documents. Um, Mr. Chairman, just going back, I also wanted to mention that as a part of my journey through uh, my time in quarantine, I have enrolled in uh, two studies so far. I'll be giving blood on uh, Friday to enroll in another program at UNC Chapel Hill, and I'm scheduled to donate convalescent plasma. Because this is being aired, I hope that anyone who's recovered from COVID will do their part to try and uh, heal this country from the health challenges that COVID has presented us with. I intend to do my part. Uh, I also would like to say uh, I like to consider the Senate an essential business. And I believe that the architect of the Capitol and our attending physicians here have taken great measures to make sure that we can safely come to work. And I would encourage anybody who works in the Senate to come to work. Um, I want to also go back to something that uh, Senator Feinstein said earlier, and you're not going to have to answer this question. Um, Senator Feinstein mentioned earlier that we've had a surge in uh, applications for guns or purchases of guns. Um, I wonder if a part of that is where we find our society right now. We're seeing great cities burned and looted. In my highway patrol in North Carolina, 75% fewer applications to go into the Troopers Academy and record high requests for retirement. We see that in New York. We see it across this country. I think people are afraid because many people, including people on this committee, are unwilling to condemn the acts of violence and public safety out there and condemn violence against law enforcement, which is rampant. I lost a, a sheriff's deputy just about a month ago uh, who was shot protecting a family. Uh, so yes, uh, Senator Feinstein, I suspect that gun purchases are up, but I suspect the root cause behind a lot of them have to do with people's personal safety. Um, to your family, uh, I, I would encourage all of your family members and your students who mercifully are your, your, your children who are your students too, who are mercifully taking a break to uh, treat social media like roadkill. Just don't look at it because if you do, you're gonna regret it. I, I am gonna also ask unanimous consent to put forth um, uh, some articles or tweets from prominent people that I think kind of give you an idea of the guerrilla tactics that are being used right now. And the committee, this has sounded a whole lot like a lobbying session. It's almost as if you're being interviewed to become a U.S. Senator so that you can decide policy on the, uh, on the Affordable Care Act and a number of other things that I'll get to. 
But behind the curtains, we're seeing people say all kinds of things about you. Uh, one, one called you a white colonizer for actually adopting two Haitian children. We have another one calling you a handmaid and a clown in a clown car, and I'm not going to. It will be submitted for the record, but the profanity used in there. Uh, another one uh, that uh, that says that yeah, you're a good mom, but that doesn't qualify you as a judge. What qualifies you as a judge is being an extraordinary professor, an extraordinary student, and an extraordinary jurist. And I think that these people need to recognize doing the bidding of this committee by attacking you outside of the committee is as bad as them being in this chamber. Um, now, I also want to talk about uh, the discussion on Roe v. Wade and the Affordable Care Act. The, um, Senator Feinstein, in I think the same two or three minutes, said that she wanted you to protect Roe v. Wade but overturn Heller. Those seem to be incongruent, but I'll just leave that out there. They're asking you to basically legislate. I don't want you to do that. But when we talk about Roe v. Wade, the one thing that's conveniently missed about this discussion is something that I think that most of the American people are at odds with the position that every member of the Democratic Conference supports. My, um, my granddaughter went to her two-month uh, uh, health checkup today. She weighed in at 10.1 uh, 10 pounds. And you can't see this picture, but I'm telling you, from this granddaddy's eyes, she's gorgeous. But she was born three weeks premature. And she only weighed a little over six pounds. She was discharged from the hospital within 36 hours. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle want to talk about the broad strokes of Roe v. Wade. They don't want to talk about their radical policy that would allow the right to take that child away that I just held in my arm two or three weeks ago. And eight weeks ago when she was uh, three, weeks, uh, three weeks premature. Um, Judge Barrett, I believe... Uh, I have complete confidence in your integrity. Uh, I have complete confidence that you're going to go and you're going to be a great justice. But I do want to ask a little bit about uh, maybe your experience when you were uh, working for, actually, I want to start when you were in, um, in school. Did you have, when you came in, you were obviously a brilliant student. You did your homework. We've heard professors attest to your, uh, your intelligence and your performance in school. Did you ever go into a classroom where the professor was espousing one position and you were espousing in another one and you ended up coming out with a different perspective? Sure. Yeah. Uh, did you ever change your professor's perspective? Well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of an unfair balance. Okay, now fast forward to when you were a clerk for Justice Scalia. I just saw an interview last week when I was in quarantine of Justice Breyer talking about these mounds of... Uh, of uh, documents that his clerks would provide him. He'd quickly go through them. He said it, it's actually a fairly quick process to winnow out the ones where there's no dispute among, there's no split circuits. So you move through it pretty quickly. Um, I understand that Justice Scalia, uh, at least in some sessions, would have a mix of clerks. They would be across the ideological spectrum. Was that the case when you were clerking for him? I would say that not all four of us, he had four clerks and we were not, we were not all of the same mind. There was a mix. When you, were there ever cases when you went before Justice Scalia and you, you, you thought that maybe he was leaning one way where he actually listened to the arguments from the clerk and modified his position? Or was it like the professor discussion? Uh, no, I think he definitely listened. I mean, we would go in before an argument when he was preparing and he would pepper us with questions and go back and forth. He wanted to hear it from all sides. 
And so, no, he definitely, it was part of the give and take, though, to be clear, he was the one with the commission and he was the one who made the decisions. Thank you. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say, because I want to yield back more time than most other members, um, is, uh, Mr. Chairman, you opened up this morning talking about the Affordable Care Act. I don't think there's anybody in the U.S. Senate that doesn't want to make sure that every single picture that we've seen here, that those folks have affordable health care and that they can be cared for. But what we have here in the Affordable Care Act is something that is so flawed that the majority of the Democratic candidates for, pre uh, for president all raised their hand and said it needed to be replaced with something they call Medicare for all, which could be Medicare for none. We know the broken promises of if you like your doctor, you could keep it. If you like your health care, you could keep it. What we're not talking about are the thousands of people who were already forced off of their job health care because employers changed hours. And now instead of working one full-time job, you've got to work two full-time jobs because the businesses can't afford it. We've got a fundamental problem here. We need to protect every one of them, but we also need to make sure that people who have a health plan under the Affordable Care Act can actually afford to use it. In the catastrophic situations, it's life-changing, and thank God that it's there for them. But what about so many other people that only have it and will only use it if they have a catastrophic situation? Because they can't afford the co-pays, they can't afford the underlying cost. We need to fix that. We shouldn't expect a justice or the Supreme Court to fix it. That is our job. We should all show up here for work, and we should get that done. And we should also work on all the other things that this country is suffering from as a result of COVID. Thank you, Judge Barrett. I look forward to supporting your nomination. Thank you, Senator Tillis. Thank you.